It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. If anybody in their right mind is worried about Jalen Brunson translating the next level, then they didn't watch him play. I believe their team is destiny, man. I really do not think that they're going to be denied. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. Stop feeding John Mead a car bombs. Run the ball, control the clock, don't do anything stupid. And John Mita. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. Dear God, give me an interview with the Eagle Scouting Department. I know I could do better. What's up, everybody? SoundCloud, iTunes. You know what you love it. Back and hopefully better than ever is the Brotherly Love Podcast. Our first episode since Christmas of 1946. Joe Donald, John Mita with you. Johnny Mita. I miss you, my friend. How are you? Oh, my God. Joe, back from the depths of the playoff hockey. <laughs> so good to be back with you, my friend. Yeah, brother. I hear you. I hear you. It was nice to get a little taste of the Calder Cup playoffs, not going to lie. Uh, made the offseason about a month shorter. Anytime you can do that, it's never a bad thing. But yeah, it's nice to have uh, back to some normalcy, a little bit of sanity, a little bit of time with the family, and then before you know it, some trips back east. So I'm looking forward to it, my brother. And uh, we got a lot to catch up on. I feel like uh, a lot has shaken down since we were last on. And so um, let's dive right in. We, we're going to talk uh, pretty much every team here. Flyers, Phils, Sixers, Birds, you name it. And then we've each got a rant we're going to break down for you on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at Love Podcast. And let's just dive right into the Eagles. OTA is already kicking off. We, we were last on right before the draft, I think, which is now a couple of weeks ago. But the yeah. Eagles kick off those, those – uh, organized team activities. They're voluntary. They're not mandatory. It's my understanding Malcolm Jenkins has not been participating. I don't know if that's an issue or not, but we love 27. Never going to chirp him. So let's dive into the OTAs, and then you can hit on the draft as well, John Mita. It's nice to see by all reports that Carson Wentz is 100% ready to go, something he hasn't really had the um, sort of the luxury of, especially last year coming off the knee injury. But nice to see the Ginger General, by all reports, raring to go. Should participate in all the OTAs and uh, should be a nice start to the offseason program in that regard. There's no doubt about it, Joe. Like, that is best news of the day. The fact that this guy can come in healthy, he's going to be healthy throughout the offseason, not rehabbing any more injuries. It's all about focusing on the season ahead trying to get the chemistry involved with the new pieces that the Eagles have provided him with, and I think he's going to have a monster year. Well, look, the offensive side of the football is loaded between the returning members and adding a guy like Deshaun Jackson in his second tenure with the team, and then the draft additions they made, a young running back like Miles Sanders. Uh, They drafted a young wide receiver from Stanford. I mean, you've got some pieces there to an already pretty darn good offense, And I think that that's, you know, look, that's what you have to do with a young quarterback. There's no sense messing around. You give them all the help you can, offensive line and and weapons-wise, and you see what happens. Uh, Let's jump into the draft since I know you had, you know, a lot of thoughts going into this thing. I want to give you your time to uh, 
sort of give our fan base here on the Brotherly Love podcast what you think the birds did, great amount, and whatever you've got on the draft, Johnny, made it fire away. You know, I would, I would give their overall draft like a strong B, maybe a B plus. Um, fact of the matter is they moved up in the first round. They, they jumped the Houston Texans and found the future left tackle of the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's a big piece because, let's face it, Jason Peters, long in the tooth, he was in and out of the lineup the entire season last year, and now you have his heir apparent. And the heir apparent gets to learn under one of the best tackles of the game, so I think that's extremely beneficial. This guy, Stillard, in Washington State, I don't know if nobody knows what Washington State is, you know, it's a Mike Leach program. All they do is pass the football. So, essentially, pass blocking, his best strength, I think they're going to have to work with him when it comes to run blocking. But what a huge investment. And we all know that the Carson Wentz contract extension is coming at some, at some point. So, what do you want to do? You want to protect his flying side. And they fill that need. So I was very happy with the first pick. There was a couple other guys that I was targeting, but that guy fell into your lap. You had to make the move. Howie, Joe Douglas, they made a great move there to take this guy, and and I was extremely happy with that pick. All right, so Andre Dillard, the the big tackle, and you fortify the line. And I know you want a running back somewhat early, 53rd overall second round. They take Miles Sanders, who had to sit and wait for Saquon Barkley to do his thing for a couple years. Exactly. And Miles Sanders, don't get me wrong, Deuce Daly was really high really high on this guy. You know, he went to the pro day at Penn State. The other good thing about Miles Sanders is he doesn't have the wear and tear because essentially he was sitting behind Saquon Barkley his entire career. So that's very beneficial to the Eagles as well. There's a couple other guys that I liked. I liked the guy, Trevion Williams, who went extremely late. He was a fifth-round pick by the Cincinnati Bengals. He did some extreme great work. He rushed for 1,700 yards in the SEC, was able to catch the football, had that breakaway speed. I was really in love with him. But bottom line is, you know, we're making attempts to fix our running game. And if we look back on the Super Bowl year, why were we so successful with our offense? Because we threw so many options at you. We had Sprolesy. We had LeGarrette Blunt. We had Corey Clement. We had Jay Ajay. We had a, a backfield of a bunch of horses that had a different type of skill set that were able to get it done. And I think we're going back to that. And let's not forget, we also made the trade for Jordan Howard for the Chicago Bears. Your backfield sets up with Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, and all likelihood, Corey Clement, and who else is going to make the roster. Essentially, I think Darren Sproles, as much as we love to have him back, I think he calls it a career. But we're stable at the running back position, which is totally a quarterback Spence friend. So I was very happy with that. When you go to the next round, they take a wide receiver out of Stanford. Big guy, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. He's kind of like a carbon copy of Alshon Jeffrey. The, the receiver that I was totally in love with, his name is Hakeem Butler. He was out of Iowa State. He became the first pick of the Arizona Cardinals in the fourth round. I think he was kind of more of a difference maker. But in all likelihood, I think the Eagles made some decent draft picks. And that's how you build your football team to win championships through the draft. 
you know, you plug in a couple people via free agency, but the bottom line is if you want to, you know, basically sustain success in this league, look at the best organizations from the New England Patriots to the Steelers. They always hit on their draft picks. So hopefully we hit on a lot of these draft picks. All right, let's go to the retirement of Chris Long. I know there are other picks in there, obviously. You got the defensive end for sure. Penn State, Sharif Miller, but sure. uh, you draft a quarterback in the fifth round, and everybody else is pretty much a crapshoot. But I want to get to Chris Long's retirement. Sure. And, you know, it might be a, a good topic for another time, John Mita, but trying to find an athlete that spent just two years in Philadelphia and made as big of an impact, and maybe not even so much, you know, uh, from a dominant perspective, not from a, you know, a Pro Bowl or an All Star or whatever the phrase is, depending on your sport perspective, but just on like grabbing the heartstrings of the fans, making fans buy your jersey, making fans fall in love with you as a person, a personality, and a player. Obviously, winning a Super Bowl helps, but what Chris Long did in the community was not undervalued by I don't think anybody across the Delaware Valley. Uh, obviously, it was very recognizable because of the impact and the platform that he kind of put himself out on. And I think it's going to be, I think if you went around throughout the history of Philadelphia, you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody that played in the city as little as he did, especially, let's keep in mind, you're playing 16 games in a football season. This isn't 162 baseball games times two. We're talking about a sample size of basically 35 games with this guy, including the playoffs, essentially. Less than 40 games. And for him to be as revered as he is with the fan base, and I correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't feel that I am, that you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that made as big of an impact, playing-wise and certainly otherwise, than a guy like Chris Long in just two short years in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, he has a storied career. Won a couple of rings, one moment the Patriots, one moment the Eagles. He was the Walter Payton Man of the Year last year, and that says a lot. You know, everything that he did off the field, you know, when you think of a guy like Chris Long, you know, there's one word that comes to mind, and it's absolute leader. He was one of the leaders on that defense. And bottom line is, when they were going through that Super Bowl run, there were countless plays that he made there were such a difference. You know, a strip fumble in San Diego, getting pressure in the Minnesota game that led to the, you know, pick six from Robinson, you know, in the NFC Championship. You know, he's going to be sorely missed. You also look at the fact that they let go Michael Bennett. So now when you look at the Eagles roster, it's like, okay, you take away these two guys, who is going to step up to the plate? and give you the production that they did. So it's a tremendous loss. We wish Chris nothing but, you know, health and happiness moving forward. The guy was a total, just an unbelievable athlete. True professional, man. True professional. True professional. He will be revered forever. And, you know, he only spent a couple years in Philadelphia, but he's going to be sorely missed. Yeah. And I know one of the problems was, like, the Eagles couldn't guarantee how much playing time he got, what type of role he had with this football team, but he's going to be missed. And uh, I know he's a little longer in the tooth, but everything that that guy brings to the table, he is one of those guys that you want on your football team. Yeah, 
And he still he still had good production last year, all things considered, <laughs> despite the limited playing time, despite being, you know, another year older from that Super Bowl season. And it'll be interesting to Absolutely. see if he is a phone call away. Should they suffer an injury? Should somebody not be working out camp the way they hoped? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you remember Derek Barnett coming off a big time injury. You're bringing back Vinny Curry to the fold, but at the DN position, they're a little bit thinner than they were. Uh, Brandon Absolutely. Graham no coming pressure. off, you know, sort of a disappointing season by his his you know his numbers and his production. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, to me, if you had a if if I had to handicap it or sort of you know get on the f- one side of the fence here. A guy like Chris Long, to me, if he says he's done, he's done. It's because he doesn't he doesn't need the game, and he's going to go out on his terms. So I just don't see him. I, if, if the phone does ring three months from now, six weeks from now, and they need him, I just don't know that he is going to just want to flip the switch and get back at it again. That's just my take. He retires after 11 seasons officially yesterday, hanging them up. There is, yeah. a, I guess, a slim chance they could they could reach out to him down the line. But for me, he's the type of guy that, you know, for the most part has his health. He's accomplished everything he wants in the game and more so outside the game. He's got a lot of endeavors, and I wouldn't be surprised if he just says, you know what, it's been a hell of a ride. I can totally see him in politics someday. Yeah. Let's not forget, you now, know. If Jesse the Body Ventura can be a governor, pretty sure Chris Long could handle it. And let's not forget, I mean, this guy played for free one season. Yeah. Which, how many professional athletes in their career would do that? Yeah, pretty much so none. he is very, not only is he a very special player, great player, but he's also a really special person. And, and I'll just take it one step further. The way he bridged the gap between black and white athletes and black and white celebrities is something yeah. that doesn't happen a lot. And I don't no want to come across sounding, you know, old school or whatever the term would be. But, like, let's be real about this for a second. When Malcolm Jenkins, when the Malcolm Jenkins of your locker room is arm in arm with the Chris Long in your locker room, you've got a great group. And that doesn't always no happen. You can, you can spin it. You can throw the sugar on it all you want. In today's society, it doesn't always happen. You get a lot of, you know, Kaepernick... Hey, here's what I stand for. And at the other side of the fence, you got a teammate that just doesn't grasp it or doesn't understand it. And Chris Long, for Chris Long, there is no color, you know? Yep. And, and that type of approach is very much needed in today's society. It's very refreshing. And I think it was, it was embraced by a lot of people because it seemed to be real from Chris Long. And yep. to me, that, that was huge in everything. I mean... Just the just the organizations that he helps raise money for. You know, he he wanted to raise money for schools in his hometown of, you know, where they had that terrible shooting in Virginia. And then at the same time, he's he's building, you know, clean water wells in all over the world. In Africa, right, in parts of the country where there's not one white person. So it's not like that guy was down one path with his leadership or his character. His he was very diverse in so many ways, man, and such. I just he's loved in, having him as part of the team. And, again, it's crazy to think he was only here two years. Yeah. He is an unbelievable humanitarian, for sure. Yep. Well said. All right. So, we kind of touched on the birds there for a bit. Let's uh, – the Sixers yep. season wrapped up since our last podcast. 
the yep. uh, the bounce heard around the world, the Kawhi Leonard game winner, game seven, games uh. tied, time winding down. Ben Simmons is all over him, and Bede comes over to help out. He fades away, and that ball, ninety nine thousand out of a you know ninety nine thousand and one times bounces short off the rim. I don't know how the hell physically that ball did what it did, but it did, and the Sixers season comes to an end. Um, I guess quickly, John Mita, sum it up. You're our basketball guy. What'd you see? Well, I mean, just like you said, when that shot hits, I'm watching it live and in color. I figure there is no shot in hell that that basketball makes one revolutionary forward to hit the other side of the rim, and it did. And Kawhi is such a clutch player. You know, we were talking about trade talks, right? Spurs are like, yeah, you want Kawhi? Okay, we want Ben Simmons. I mean, we're going to pull the trigger on that. Hindsight 2020, maybe we should have done that. He's a tremendous player, great shot. You look at the series as a whole, couple things stood out, okay? Jimmy Butler was your best player. So this offseason, I don't care how many millions it takes, you need to make him a number one priority. Because I know he was kind of lackadaisical, and I was kind of on the fence with him. I'm like, I don't know if he's going to bring it. I'm not so sure I signed him to the max. But what he did in the playoffs just showed you, you need that type of leadership, that type of player that's hungry like that, that wants to win, that has the ability to get – and, and be a voice as far as, you know, communicating with your young players on your team. The other thing that stood out is the inability of Ben Simmons to shoot the basketball what? again. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah oh, again. really? Ben Simmons right, doesn't so shoot? Now, now, now we're two playoff series in a yeah. row, and I called 97-5 two months ago, and I said I'd trade Ben Simmons for the number two overall pick, and I'd take a point guard like John Moran. The thing with Ben Simmons for me is, I just don't think he has it. I don't think he has the work ethic to be great. You hear his exit interview, he never once says that I'm a crappy shooter. This is the one thing that I'm going to focus on the offseason. You know what he comes out and says? There's a lot of parts of my game that I can work on in the offseason. No, Ben, you're absolutely dead wrong. There is one thing that you need to work in the offseason. And I don't want you working with your brother because you've been working with your brother the last two years, and what have the results been? Fantastic, Ben. You've increased your free throw percentage by 5%. You've taken four. Oh, if you look at his shot chart throughout the course of the season, he took a made like 400 field goals inside the paint. If this guy develops, and I'm not talking about a three-pointer. I'm talking 12 to 17 feet. If he develops that type of shot, this guy will be a top three player in the league. But the bottom line is, I don't think he has it. I don't think he has the work ethic. He's been on every level of basketball. He's been better than everyone else, and no one has ever called the carpet on him. Even his family members have not gotten in his ear. At some point, his family members need to look in the mirror, especially his brother, and say, you know what? I've helped him as much as I can. We need a fresh voice in the room, and as the Sixers go, they need to say, you know what, you're not working with your brother anymore. I know he's going to do whatever the hell he wants on his own time, but the bottom line is he needs somebody to fix his shot. That's his one weakness. And if he never does that, and everybody keeps saying, here's the counter-argument, oh, he's only 22 years old, you know, Giannis didn't come he have a shot. But, like, I don't think, listen, if the guy has an unwillingness 
to shoot the shot now, and he knows he doesn't want to be embarrassed, the fans will not get on him if he tries to pull up. If you look at the shots that he takes, like jump shots, seven, eight feet, he's always falling away. He's on one foot. He's leaning to one side. What I want to see him do is just square the hell up. You are 6'11", you have a flat shot, nobody in their right mind can be able to block it, so just take it. And Brett Brown gives the leash, and let's um, also forget about the fact that Elden Brand was strongly considering trading him, and I think he got vetoed by the ownership. There's no way in the world you could trade him. But at this point, if you ask me, for this team to move forward, either he develops a jump shot in this next season, great. If he doesn't, then definitely by next year you have to trade him. Are you really going to sign this guy to a max contract when he's a liability and he's costing your team? No. So well, my priority listen, is – Listen, the issue is going to be if he goes for another year not shooting the basketball and he doesn't get any better and the Sixers are looking to move him, everybody's going to know why they want to move him. Right, because he's a weakness. That's why I think now the iron's hot. I literally try to trade him, acquire first-round draft pick because we've given so many away when acquiring the services of Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, get another first round, put that in your you know form of picks, and basically you go out and sign a guy like Kemba Walker, a point guard that is a threat, a guy that can knock down a shot. Everybody talks about him. He's such a great playmaker, assists and everything else. I get all that. But if the guy's not a threat... You played pickup basketball before, Joe. What do you do with a guy that can't shoot the basketball? You double team everyone else because you know this guy can't shoot for shit. Sorry. So, so basically, well, so basically, just done. just leave me alone and double team all my teammates. Exactly. Yeah. How do we know he can't shoot? He never shoots. So how do we know? I watch the show well, on Twitter. Twitter every every day. I look at his foul shot and his elbow sideways. And listen, there's one thing that I can do. I can shoot a little bit. When your elbow is sideways, that means that basically the backspin of the ball or the revolution of the ball is sideways. Okay, for you to get the shooter's rolls, for you to get the bounces, you need that backspin on the ball. You need to rotate it backwards. That's what makes the shot go in. When you're shooting the ball and it revolutionizes like a damn globe, the chances of you making it are slim to none. So he's got a lot to work on. He needs to acknowledge that and stop dating the Jenner girls. And now that that's over, thank God. But going the off season, you're going to play for Team Australia. You're going to just run up and down the court and beat Ben Simmons. But you need to take a long, strong look in the mirror and figure out how can I become a better player. Listen, how many people practice basketball and go to the court and they don't practice on their shot? I don't see anyone ever going to the basketball court. Doing defensive slides and rebounding drills and ball handling drills—it doesn't happen, you know. It I know, man. Anytime happen. I look out on the court, I see some random white guy in like in jeans out there working on his shot. He's he's shooting the ball, you know. Exactly. When you go out and there and you're messing around for fun or you're trying yeah. to get better, you're shooting the ball. That's why you bring the ball with you to shoot it in the hoop. And let's and let's get to another big point when it comes yeah. to the 76ers. So I'm going to talk a little Brett Brown, okay. Brett Brown did a nice job making some adjustments in the playoffs. You know, there's certain things about Brett Brown that drives me absolutely insane. The dribble handoff offense, I'm going to go throw that in the Mediterranean state. Because so many times there were turnovers committed on that dumb European offense. 
And as far as Joel and B goes, get to the damn block. You can do so much damage in the block. And Embiid, as much as I criticize Ben Simmons, okay, you need to be healthy throughout a postseason. I don't want to hear that you're suffering from a respiratory infection. You got something else going on. You need to step up and take it and basically get your body in check. I don't want you out at comedy clubs. Listen, when it comes to the playoffs, the one thing that I loved about Joel Embiid, and people made fun of him, when he lost that game, that man was in absolute tears. And for him to know that that hurt him, I love that. Because that is going to be the driving force for him to get his body in the best shape of his life and come back and be an absolute monster. The kid has so much ability. He can be an MVP. The question is, how bad do you want it? So he needs to do that. When it comes to Brett Brown, listen, if you were to fire Brett Brown, I was like, fire Brett Brown, fire Brett Brown. I get that, people. Okay? But then you need to step up and say, well, who's going to be the candidate that's going to take this team forward? Who's going to be the candidate to get the best out of every single player? And I look around the league, and there's not that many great options. Who could the Lakers settle for? Frank Vogel? Okay. Tyrone Luke? You want Tyrone Luke? I don't. I, I think he's a total fraud. His career was essentially based on LeBron. Yeah, and his now, relationship with LeBron. Yeah. Now, listen. Exactly. Can we go back? Exactly. Can we go back to Joe? You got anything else on the coach? Because I got to go back to Joe. Joe here. All right. I think basically, if you knew you didn't have somebody in place that could take you to that next level, the best thing to do is to bring Brett Brown back. So I'm giving him another year. You know, you look at a team like the Golden State Warriors. Okay, what did they do? They had Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson got him to a nice level. The team is trying, but what did they do? They zipped him out of town, brought in Steve Kerr. And now they're on the cusp of winning three championships in a row. Go back to Joe. I didn't like. I didn't like the emotional outburst at the end of the game. I'm sorry. I love that. No, I mean I get it. I get it. But it was just. It was over the top, man. It was over the top. Crying on. Was it Lopez's shoulder? Like uncle. That guy doesn't play with you. That's the opponent. Shake his hand and get to the damn locker room. Crying on his girlfriend's shoulder in the tunnel. With all the cam, first of all, he knew all the cameras were around. So there's two ways to look at it. One, you either want to get away from the cameras because it's embarrassing as hell, and you don't want to be on social media the rest of your life crying. Or two, you want to do it in front of the cameras so everybody knows. I don't know which one it was. Obviously, he wasn't embarrassed by it because he was sitting out there for a very long time. Like I get being upset. Wipe the tears, shake hands, and get to the locker room. This isn't peewee baseball. This isn't Little League. It's not Pop Warner where the kids cry after a loss. I didn't like it, John Mita. Uh, I like his passion. I love that he's invested. I love that he showed that he, was, that he cared. But, like, give me a break. That, that was too much for me. That was too over the top. That was too forced. It felt too fake. It felt too much for, for the spotlight. And I don't know why you'd want to be in the spotlight with those emotions. Get off the damn court. He lost the game. First of all, and I don't know Jack, but Ben Simmons had Kawhi Leonard pretty damn well covered, blanketed. And JoJo came over and kind of cut off Simmons' path. Now, I know JoJo's got more reach, but he's also not as quick. Simmons was all up in Kawhi's grill. Kawhi was able to sort of escape Simmons because Embiid came over and said, this is my guy. And I love the fact he wanted to D up knowing what was at stake, but he didn't get the job done. Ball goes in, series over, season over. And then we get to watch oh, yeah. him be cry for seven minutes. 
let's get back to Brett Brown and, and these last-time game decisions. If there is one guy that you don't want to beat you, it's Kawhi Leonard. So they should have trapped him, doubled him from the start, and you make somebody else make that game-winning shot. And, and again, I think that's a coaching flaw. I think they screwed up there. I know Kawhi made a great move, but they should have blitzed him, doubled him. Look at what Golden State's doing to Damian Lillard right now. They are blitzing the hell out of him. He doesn't know how to pass out of the double team. He doesn't know how to get good shots for his teammates. Listen, so, nobody's again, nobody's beating the Milwaukee team. Bucks anyway, but the Sixers, I feel, had a better chance because Embiid can at least try and negate the Greek freak. I know. You know, Toronto's got no there. answer for the freak. Yep. All right, to the fighting Phils, who were scuffling for a bit. Then, luckily, the Rockies came to town. They get a sweep. They stay in first place. Couple of game, uh, two and a half game lead. Last time I checked, over the Braves. The Mets are fading. They're a grease fire. Yeah. Uh, your boy Bryce Harper right now, with back to back dingers the last couple of games. Now on a whopping nine, and I believe our bet was thirty two over under. You took the over. So it's it's going to come down to the wire. I mean, I'm sure at some point in the, sp- in the summer he'll get hot. But he's sitting about 236 right now. He's been getting booed recently. He just came off a great series, so I'll give him that. Your thoughts on uh, the Phils as they stand now, 27-19. and 19. Tough stretch here. Cubs for four, Brewers for three, oh, yeah. all on the road. Oh, yeah. Then they got the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. This road trip is called Murder's Row. There's no question about it. I know people are up in arms and, oh, my God, we should have paid Bryce Harper all that million dollars, and I get that, okay? He hasn't produced the level that we're expecting when you pay somebody that much money. But he's also doing other things that's making the team better, okay? He's still walking, getting on base, and Reese Hoskins is still having a hell of a year, and I think that can be attributed to the services of Bryce Harper. When I look at the Phillies right now, there's one huge weakness, and it's pitching. And I'm not talking about starting pitching. Yes, I am talking about starting pitching, but I'm also talking about the bullpen. A guy that they had registered as their number two starter coming into the year, Nick Pivetta, has been sent down to the minor leagues. He is your number two starting pitcher. That is an absolute prop. So we had some other guys step in right now, but pitching, pitching, pitching. This lineup will find a way to hit. There's too many good players on the lineup, but the bottom line is this. I think Matt Klintak... And the Phillies brass, at the trade deadline, they need to acquire another starting pitcher. And the other thing is they got to find a way to get some rolls in the bullpen. And if they can do that, I think they can make a run of the postseason. But if that does not happen, I think we're going to go into another offseason and then try to fill some more holes to make a run in the future. But that's how I look at the Phillies right now. No, I hear you. 27-19, two-and-a-half game lead. The pitching certainly needs to improve. Arietta's been up and down. Nola looks yeah. like he's fine in his form. Eflin's been outstanding last couple of starts. You got your boy Cole, don't call me Dick Irvin, filling in. He's 2-0, yeah. not too shabby, but you know the the shine will fade on that pretty soon, I'd imagine. No doubt. But yeah, Absolutely. the bullpen, when Adam Morgan's your best reliever right now, numbers-wise, then you've got issues because that guy stinks. So. Oh, yeah, and I can't wait for Tommy Hunter to come off the injured oh. reserve. And throw him in the mix. And that let's see ball. what. And what about Robertson, that bum they signed from the Yankees? What's his deal? Yeah, he, he's still injured. He's yeah, still injured. Up. Weird, weird. Um. All right, that's enough on the fills, my friend. Flyers round out their <laughs> coaching staff. They add Mike Yo. 
They add Michelle Terrien. So you have Elaine Vigneault, Michelle Terrien, Ian LaPerriere, the only holdover, and Mike Yo. So you have three French guys and my guy, Yosey. I don't know if that's a joke or what, like going into the bar, the three French guys and the Canadian. I haven't heard that joke before. Good luck to Mike Yo in that regard. Um, those French guys will keep you on your toes. But listen, it's a, it's a, it's a coaching staff with a ton of experience. You have three head coaches now, and Vino, Terrian, and Yo that have all won, you know, respectively. They have all been head coaches before. They've all been in the NHL for a long time. They will not be short on knowledge. They will not be short on moxie. I think it's a very interesting mix. And you got to keep in mind that Chuck Fletcher knows all three of those guys fairly well, specifically Terrian and Yo, who he worked with in Pittsburgh. And then Fletcher worked with Yo, obviously, in Minnesota. And I know that Yo and Terrian are tight because I met Michelle Terrian years ago when Mike Yo was floating around and I was with Houston. So that group is... They're not short on uh, on knowledge, and they're not short on you know the personalities and the friendships there. So that's certainly something that I think will be interesting, a dynamic there between the coaches that could allow them to get off the ground running because there won't be a lot of secrets there between them. There won't be a lot of trying to get to know one another, and that can be helpful for a coaching staff when you just you sort of have that that relationship already. Um, as far as at least the two assistants go, and now you just got to mesh with Vigneault and Perriere. And I, from you know, all indications, Lappy seems like a good guy. He's, anytime you make it through several coaching staffs, you know you're doing something right. And uh, so we'll see how how it goes for the Flyers. But it's very interesting makeup there, having that much experience behind the bench. And now you just got to relate to the players. It's going to be a young team. They're going to coach up this Flyers team this year with some of that youth. I think they're going to be way better defensively. I think they're going to be way more accountable. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a pretty promising year for the Fly Guys. Now listen, I, I couldn't agree with you more. When it came out that these are two guys that they hired, I, I love the fact. Because, like, here's the deal. When you, when you get to this level, when you're talking about professional athletes, you know, a lot of times they combine the young guys where they're innovative with ideas. You look at in the NFL, like a guy like, Sean McVay, and he can relate to the players. But when these guys have the resumes that they do and the coaching experience, I think that will open up the eyes of not only the young players but the veterans. And I think it's a great mix of guys, and I'm very excited about it. And I think they're on their way to big and better things. No question about it. All right, to our rants. I'm going to start since mine is hockey-related. Quick aside before I get into my rant. Extended video review is coming to the National Hockey League. That's not a news flash. It's not a secret. They need it. There have been some very bad calls this year in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Some missed calls, some overreactions from officials, some things that aren't reviewable that should be. But I will say this. What did they do 30 years ago? Nothing. You didn't do anything about it. You took your medicine and you played the next game or you lost and your season was over and you had to deal with it. Maybe some people read about in the newspaper the next day, and that was that. In today's era, that doesn't fly anymore. I get it. We're a changed society. Technology, et cetera, gives us the opportunity to get things right. But look back to, for example, when the Flyers lost the Stanley Cup on an offside call against the Islanders in, what was that, like 1980, where a guy was offside by like six miles, and yet the Islanders scored, and that was it. See you later. Take care. Comb your hair. Like, you can't go back in time all the time. 
And we're seeing in the NFL, expanding replay, expanding replay, and baseball, challenges. Every time there's a close play and the and this guy sliding in the second thinks he was safe, well, hang on, let's put on the headset. Let me call to my video replay guy. Don't leave the field yet. Like, uncle, I'm tired of it. It's coming to the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's coming to hockey. It's probably needed, but there's a part of me that's just like, I've had enough. I've had enough. And it's coming. Just get ready for it. All right, to the rest of my rant, and it involves the fine sport of ice hockey. Get to know the name Capo Caco. Capo Caco. If you don't know, now you know. 18 years of age, he will be the number one overall pick. Sorry, Jack Hughes, because this kid is lighting up the world championships. I'm going to say it again. He's 18 years of age. In six world championship games for his native Finland, Capo Caco has six goals. He has been outstanding, to say the least. He's playing against men at 18 years of age, and he is dominating. Now, look, with that said, take this with a grain of salt because he's on the international ice. He's playing with his fellow countrymen who he has a good feel of. When he gets to the National Hockey League's, Uh, the National Hockey League, and the New Jersey Devils, I do believe, will select him number one overall because his performance in the World Championship so far has been so mesmerizing and so breathtaking that the pass on him would be almost insanity. But when you take a kid like Kako, there will, at some point, have to be a couple of growing pains because he's going to have to translate to the North American sheet of ice and he's going to have to translate to the grind that is the National Hockey League. However... He is a stud. He's can't miss. Patrick Laine, another huge Finnish star, came over and burst onto the scene with the Jets and has not looked back. I expect that same type of impact from a kid like Kako. He is outstanding with the puck. He's driven. He goes to the net hard. He can rifle it. He's got skill. I mean, just watch some of his videos. Watch his shift in the World Championships where he literally made Ryan Suter look like he was a peewee hockey player. Ryan Suter plays 20-some minutes a night for the Minnesota Wild every single night. Say what you will about him, but he's a hell of a defenseman. And he made Capo Caco took him to the woodshed on a shift in the offensive zone where Suter had him pinned up twice against the glass and Kako looked like it was a fly on the back of his shoulder. So this kid is legit, John Mita. He's going to go number one overall. There will be some growing pains once he translates out of the European game, but this kid is a stud. If you didn't know, now you know. Capo Kako, book it. Right on, brother, right on. Yeah, um, you know what? And I, I don't really like to talk politics, um, but... This is just a rant that I'm about to embark on that that it just makes me angry. And let's all face it, this country has been in extreme turmoil with the presidency, with so many social issues going on. But I really want to talk about is where we need to make a difference in the world is the justice system in America. A couple weeks ago, a bus driver got away with raping a 14-year-old girl, and he got away with probation. That was his punishment, probation for committing rape on a 14-year-old girl. That disgusts me, okay? And for the judge or whoever made that possible to hand down that type of punishment, it's ridiculous. Another rapist got out with probation. There was a doctor in Texas that basically had his patient under anesthesia, ended up raping him, raping her, and ended up only getting a couple years probation okay this is something that we need to fix 
People need to be outraged because let me tell you something. I don't have children, okay? I don't have a 14-year-old daughter, okay? But I do have young nieces. And let me tell you something. If I found out that somebody raped one of my nieces and the extreme amount of punishment they got was probation, you have people getting DUIs in this country, people getting caught with small amounts of marijuana, and they're spending years, days in prison. But you have rapists, violent offenders out there committing horrible criminal acts, and they're getting probation? We need to take a look in the mirror, America, okay, and do everything in our power to fix this basically just broken justice system. You know, murders, people getting away with all types of stuff, and they get these just slap-on-the-wrist punishments. In my opinion, if you commit rape, I don't care how old the person is, it should be an automatic five years in prison. Mandatory. There should be no hearing for it. It should be mandatory. So what I'm saying is, as much as we're upset about the president of the United States and other things, why don't we also get behind and try to fix our justice system so broken? If I were to go on trial right now for any type of act, I would be scared to death that my peers, that peers of jury, would make the right decision regarding my innocence. So it's my outcry right now. I, I got to be honest with you. This is one thing we need to fix in this country. Because when people are committing small crimes, it's as little as, you know, driving under the influence. Everyone knows that we've all had friends that have been there that have done the time. But when rapists, people that are committing assault and they get slaps on the wrist and they get probation for these heinous acts, we got a real problem and we need to fix it. All right, folks, that about does it. Off hibernation, back at it. SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitter, at Love Podcast. Johnny made a good stuff, brother. You too, my friend. For John Mita, Joe O'Donnell, appreciate everybody tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. 